When we open our Bibles to John chapter 20, we find Mary Magdalene, one of Jesus' followers, grieving over the loss of her Lord and teacher. Like many who are grieving, she tosses and turns at night. The images from Good Friday looping in her mind. She hears the rooster crow, which begins the fourth watch of the night from 3 a.m. to 6. Finally, it's the first day of the week, our Sunday. Mary went while it was still dark early to be there for the first daylight after the Sabbath. At last, Mary Magdalene and the other women could do what they had longed to do, and that is to give Jesus the proper burial that he had deserved. While the other three Gospels report that a number of women went with Mary, John's Gospel only tells us of Mary, so that's where we'll focus today. She was one of Jesus' closest followers. You might remember that Jesus healed her of seven demons. Mary was a woman of considerable wealth, and Luke reports that Mary supported Jesus and his ministry out of her own means. So when Mary arrived at the tomb that morning, she saw that the large stone had been rolled away from the entrance, and of course she immediately ran back to town to tell Peter what had happened, also to tell John. They were two of Jesus' most trusted disciples, sort of his inner circle, along with James. They were key leaders among them. She told them that someone had taken Jesus out of the tomb. That was her first suspicion, and a very accurate one. Why would you think anything else? Grave robbers were very common in those days. Not only had her Lord been crucified, but now there was a chance that she could make everything better. Immediately, Peter and John tore out of the tomb, both sprinting there, as you heard read. I imagine they blistered the leather on their Jerusalem cruisers. John arrived at the tomb first. He looked in but did not go in. He saw the strips of linen lying there. Then Peter looked in and went in. He too saw the strips of linen as well as the headcloth, kind of like a turban, lying there perfectly. It was as if Jesus' body had supernaturally passed right through the cloth. They were undisturbed. No grave robber would have been able to do that, nor would they have cared to. John 20, verse 8, tells us that John finally went into and he saw and believed, though neither of them understood. Realizing that Jesus' body was gone, Peter and John, well, they just kind of went back. They just, they just left and they went back to their homes. Meanwhile, Mary Magdalene remained at the tomb. She stood outside of it crying. You can imagine what that would have been like. The Greek word implies that she was sobbing, weeping, wailing. The Amplified Version translates it sobbing. King James, weeping. Mary was heartbroken. Her eyes filled with tears. Dan Bagby was one of my professors in seminary, and he wrote a little book called Seeing Through Our Tears. Some of you may be familiar with him and, and with that book. In his book, he writes, tears are one of the most expressive ways in which we communicate. We cry for different reasons. From the moment we were born, our limited vocabulary 
required tears to express hunger, discomfort, or fatigue. From infancy through adulthood, tears are our companions during some of the most difficult times in our lives. They often reveal what we cannot put into words. Mary's tears expressed the inner anguish and pain that she felt knowing that the opportunity to have that one final goodbye to her Lord had been taken from her. Much like many of us have experienced over the course of the pandemic, so many people have not been able to have a funeral for their, for their loved one and have not been able to go into the hospital to have that final goodbye. They can identify with Mary Magdalene really well. She was expressing what the Old Testament calls lament. And the Psalms are full of scriptures that help us to lament our losses. Like Psalm 6-6, for example, I am worn out from my groaning all night long. I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. That's what Mary felt like. The other disciples are gone. She's there all alone, and she feels all alone. And it was in these moments of despair and grief that Mary just stopped. Wasn't sure what to do next. So she just stopped to linger there at the grave of her Lord and teacher. We don't know how long she stood there, but while she was weeping, she decided to look in. Up until this point, she had not done so. Peter and John did, but she had not. She just knew that Jesus wasn't there, so she peered into the cool, damp, dimly lit tomb so as to get a glimpse of what Peter and John had seen. And she saw two angels who were seated on the t at the tomb. They were in there, and they asked her why she was crying. She said, they've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have put him. After this, she turned back around, and she saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't recognize it was him. Likely she couldn't see through her tears. Maybe you've cried so hard that you couldn't see. It's like windshield wipers that don't work on a car in the pouring down rain. It's just a blur. That was Mary. Then Jesus spoke to her. These are red-letter words in many of your Bibles. The words of Jesus himself. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Since the tomb was in a lovely garden, it's quite possible that this man is the gardener. So Mary desperately seeks to find out where he may have taken Jesus's body. And it is here between verse 15 and verse 16 that I sense a pregnant pause. It's almost as if time has stopped. Nothing but the cool morning air. It is in these moments that Mary listens and she hears the voice of the Lord calling her by name. Jesus said, Mary. And she turned around toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabuni, which means teacher, as you heard. Jesus said then, he said, don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. And Mary did just what he said, and she went and told the disciples what she had seen and heard. 
It wasn't until the risen Lord called Mary by name that she recognized his voice. No doubt it was Jesus. He was alive. There's one statement, and if you're not, if we're not careful, we can skip right over it, read right through it. But there's one statement that's really important here. It's verse 17. Jesus said in the New International, which we've read, do not hold on to me. But the Amplified Version says, do not hold me. The message by Eugene Peterson says, do not cling to me. The New American Standard says, stop clinging to me. A literal translation, the same, stop clinging to me. In Matthew's version of the resurrection that morning, when Mary and the women saw Jesus, they clasped his feet and worshipped him. But here in John's gospel, it's just Mary. And then Jesus says, do not hold on to me. Don't cling to me. The Greek verb here is apto, which means to fasten or to make or to make to adhere to. It only appears here in John's gospel. It's like Jesus is saying to Mary, there's so much more to come. I can't explain it, but just trust me and you will see. There's more to come. The previous personal fellowship that Jesus and his disciples like Mary had before were based on sight and sound and touch. But with the resurrection, the old relationship would no longer exist. It would be transformed into something more wonderful and powerful and glorious than words could ever express. The Apostle Paul describes it like this. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, as in, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Jesus said to Mary, I've not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to the Father, to your Father, to my God and to your God. And she went and did just as he had said. She shared what she had seen. She was the first person to see and witness the resurrected Lord. The lesson that I would like to leave us with this Easter is that in order for Mary Magdalene to experience the fullness of the resurrection of Jesus, she had to let go of her previous expectations. I can imagine her clinging to the feet of Jesus, worshiping him, crying, her tears running down on his feet. But Jesus saying, Mary, there's much more that I have in store for you. If you'll just let go of me and tell the others, you will soon see. The question for us this Easter is what are you and I holding on to that is keeping us from experiencing the fullness of all that Christ has to offer. What stones do you and I need rolled away in our lives? A past relationship, a broken heart, failures, addictions, guilt, 
broken dreams, unrealistic expectations, broken brackets, unforgiveness, fears, negativity, stress. You can think of what's going on in your life that might be holding you back from experiencing the fullness of all that Christ has to offer. We call that transformation. But letting go isn't easy, is it? Letting go can be scary. Sometimes, even though our past experiences might be difficult, sometimes we find comfort in them. You know, even in the bad stuff, sometimes we're, we grow comfortable with that. And it's hard to let it go. Branching out to take hold of what God has in store for us is not easy. Church, sometimes it's just easier to keep things just as they are and not do anything at all. And we call that emotional stuckness. We can just get stuck. And gospel is not stuck. Resurrection is not stuck. Resurrection is transformation. It is letting go of what is behind, as Paul writes, and striving for to take hold of what is to come. All of this requires faith and trusting God to give us a change of heart. A few words from Richard Rohr. Some of you are familiar with him. The word change normally refers to new beginnings, he writes. But transformation more often than not happens when something new begins after something old falls apart. The pain of something old falling apart, disruption and chaos, invites the soul to listen at a deeper level. It invites and sometimes forces the soul to go to a new place because the old place is not working anymore. Rohr continues, the mystics use many words to describe this chaos, fire, darkness, death, emptiness, abandonment, trial, the evil one, whatever it is. It does not feel good, and it does not look like God. We will do anything, says Rohr, to, to keep the old thing from falling apart. This is when he says we need patience, guidance, and the freedom to let go instead of tightening the controls and the certitudes. Perhaps Jesus is describing this phenomenon when he says, it is a narrow gate and a hard road that leads to life, and only a few will find it. I want to take that road. Church, I want to take that road. The good news of Easter for the women, for the other disciples, and for each of us is that God has acted in our lives to break the cycle of negativity. We are invited today to see that the stone has already been rolled back to believe that Jesus has been raised and to focus on the future where our risen Lord is ahead of us and waiting on us. Jesus, thanks be to God, is not dead in the tomb. Instead, he is found in his followers who act with justice and love and kindness and praise. This Easter, we are challenged to take hold of the future, not to cling to the past. Our risen Lord is, sim is not simply with us. He's ahead of us, always ahead of us, calling us into the future that he is preparing 
for us, like Mary, our job is to trust that he is leading us to a hopeful future and to follow him there. Thanks be to God. Happy Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Pray with me.